the the preface to this oh that's nice at, isn't that cool that's awesome powerpoint is really up their game <laughs> yeah. i did nothing all i did was click the button that's and, so and good that. i don't look fancy <laughs> um so a little preface to this is that breathing and breath is probably one of my weakest subjects i'm really good what don't nod so aggressively no i mean it's just it's a common thing for a lot of people especially <laughs> physicians we're so like take this supplement to do this thing right and breathing come on in another Hi. welcome you're not on your face i don't know you what's your name uh, uh, dalton dalton yes are you someone we know around here no. a patient or a loved no, one okay Hi. all right well come on in buddy we were chit-chatting and uh, that works if you're uh, that one's way more comfortable these are actually weirdly comfortable thank you so you you almost missed the preface to the workshop and that is that i'm terrible about breathing and breath in general you're welcome to sit Okay, so one more, time. One, one more time. So I'm terrible at breath and breathing. But as I was, so this was was both kind of a task and a challenge when someone suggested this topic and put it out there. And I thought, okay, it's so important and it's so easy to overlook. And it's such an easy way to hijack our own biochemistry. And I was just meeting with one of my longtime patients, uh, Nelson. I don't know if you saw him out there, Stephen. He he and his his story will be public one day, but such a, a, a long story and breathing is one of the ways he's finding to hijack his own his own mental health and put it back to where he wants to be and knows where he can be and so um so the preface is that i'm really weak at this but the good news is that in designing the powerpoint and the presentation and stuff um hopefully i can at least gather the, the importance of breathing because it's something that just doesn't sound that magical and cool but it is something that is extremely powerful. And um, yeah, so I'm gonna apologize for not crushing this, but we're gonna all learn together. We're gonna do great. We'll see. So the, why didn't it change? Mm -hmm. Oh, it's on there. I thought it was showing my iPad. Hold on, technological difficulty. Okay, so um, this is one of my favorite books, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. And um, it seems like a weird place to start with, with breathing. But if anyone's ever read the book, it's extremely, extremely boring. It's uh, got it on the shelf over there. It's like 200 pages of boring stuff. But at the same time, truly fascinating. What the book goes through is the book goes through all the ways your adrenal glands will kill you and every organ in your entire body, start to finish. That's the entire book. I kept waiting for the next chapter on like how to unlock this and how to undo this. And he never gets there. It's just, this is how your adrenal glands will kill you. Your adrenal glands produce this, the stress hormone. And that stress hormone is necessary for life. We talk about it as a bad thing all the time because most people have too much of it, are too stressed. And so it is a bad thing, but it's absolutely necessary for life. If you take it away from someone, they die. We must replace it. You, you die without it. So the idea behind the book, because he never really explains it very well, why zebras don't get ulcers. The idea here is that zebras live out in the wilderness with lions and tigers and bears on mine, right? And they can get eaten at any point of part of the circle of life. We watch Lion King, right? Zebras get eaten. Um, and so how can you live in the wilderness knowing there's a predator around and not be stressed out of your mind all the time and get a stomach ulcer? 
So the theory here is that zebras don't get ulcers like Americans do, the, or not even Americans, people do, because they live in harmony and happiness, except when the lion shows up. Then they're very stressed. And that stress is very short-lived until the lion eats bomb. And when the lion is fed, the zebra just goes back to chilling because the lion's fed and it knows it's not in danger anymore. Whereas us as people, we wake up, we're worried about our appearance, we're worried how our hair looks, we're worried about driving, we're angry driving, and then we're chugging caffeine on the way, and then job stress and then life stress and marriage stress, all the things end up chronically stressing us. There's always a lion in the room unless we start paying attention to it and start giving it less and less power. So that's why that's where this starts. So humans do get ulcers, zebras do not, because we have too much caffeine, road rage, work stress, deadlines, children need exercise. I mean, that list goes on and on and on, right? So that's the first part we have to admit is that we do have so many chronic stressors that if we're not paying attention to it, it will rock us, it will erode us. The, I, I don't want to get too medical here. You guys are all smart people. So I think y'all might even know this already. There's the sympathetic version of our nervous system. The nervous system is kind of broken down into these two main pieces, the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. That's a lot to say. So we're going to say SANS and PANS because that's easier to say. Um, on the SANS side, on the left side, is our fight or flight. You think of all the things the body does when the lion jumps out of the, the, the woods, um, or the grass, whatever it does, um, all of the things you need to survive kick on. So like pooping, not necessary, right? Um, pupils expand. You need to see far because you need to get away from the lion. You start making fast and shallow breaths because you got to ramp up your metabolic rate because you're going to get eaten if you don't. But the problem is when we live in that state, when we're constantly in that state, everything else shuts down on the right side. So on the right side, we take slow, deep breaths. Our heart slows. Our gut is resting and digesting. So that's the problem when we live in the sand state. So what are the triggers to the sands? What are the triggers to the pans? And it's always existing in equilibrium. The, the yin and the yang. That's why the sands is the blue and the pans is the black. They're always existing and, and supposed to exist in balance. But you can overwhelm the yin or the yang. Right. So the sands is the fight or flight, fright, whatever, whatever rhymes with fight. That's the stress, fear. I'd like to point out exercise is a stressor. Um, caffeine, life in general, and activity. Pans is eating, pooping, breathing, but only conscious breathing. Your, your breathing naturally is on the pan side, but you can actually take control of it in, in, the, in breathing. That's what it's about. And then gratefulness, relaxation, sleeping. Okay. So what's interesting about the parasympathetic nervous system, the rest and digest that's completely different than the sympathetic nervous system, is the parasympathetic nervous system is basically all boiled down to the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve is, I don't want to say entirely, but it is primarily the entire parasympathetic nervous system. So if you look at this diagram, really cool looking, but you can see where that vagus nerve, there's one on each side that comes down from the brain, where is it connected? It's not connected to her muscles. It's not connected to, um, in this diagram, not her uterus, but the, it's, not, it's not designed to run away from things and survive. This is the thriving part, the rest and digest. So it's connected to her heart, connected to her lungs, connected tons and tons to the intestines. 
the sympathetic nervous system, on the other hand, I couldn't find a cool diagram like that. So just a cool nerve looking thing. Um, but the sympathetic nervous system is everywhere. It's attached to every artery, every vein, every muscle. It's connected entirely throughout the body. The idea is that the sands is supposed to be balanced with the pans. But I like this diagram because I think as, as Americans especially, but really as humans in general, we always have an elephant on the fight or flight side and more like a mouse. We just don't give it much credit. We don't give it much weight. So the parasympathetic side, if it's ignored, even if you're not overstimulating the sands, if the pans is absent, the sands will be dumb. Right? So same thing. Well, if, if the sands is always on, then the seesaw is down, the pans is, is, is backwards, right? So you already know about all those things. Pans, same thing. You can flip the seesaw by focusing on all those things. Problem is that we can't just eat all day to stimulate our pans. We might like that. We can't poop all day to stimulate our pans. We can consciously breathe. We can be grateful. We can relax and we can sleep. We have control over those. So before we get into what breath we can do, I, I like to go through a little bit of the science of breathing that most people don't know. Um, it may not play a big role, but I like making things kind of sciencey. So the first question is, what takes more energy, inhalation or exhalation? Which one is a more active process? Dalton, you look like you know. I mean, I would think inhalation. Yeah, it is. Because we're, we're just naturally with our weight, and gravity and just curled up and, and hunched over in order to inhale, you literally have to expand ribs and pull your diaphragm. You have to create this negative pressure inside of your chest that allows air to come in. We don't actually suck air in. We create a negative pressure here and that allows a vacuum effect of air to come in. And then once all that energy is stored up, then exhalation happens. All exhalation is you just let go and your own body collapses and crushes and, and sends and crushes, that's a bad word, but sends the air out. So inhalation is the active process, it takes more energy. Um, what takes longer, Shanoa, inhalation or exhalation? 50-50 shot. I mean, it depends, but I would say <laughs> exhalation. Yeah, yeah, so it's always exhalation. Sounds completely backwards, but exhalation mm -hmm. is always longer. Um, and in asthmatics, that's one of the way we can tell if you're in an asthma flare is it sounds backwards. You think of asthma as a shortness of breath. And is that me? Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you think of it as, uh, as an asthmatic or COPD or someone that's struggling to breathe. You think it's difficulty getting air in. It's actually the opposite. They're having difficulty getting air out. And when they can't get air out, they can't get air in because there's only so much volume. Right. So that's one of the ways we, we watch for asthmatics. If they're exhaling longer and longer, then that means they're sicker and sicker, even if you can't hear it or see it. How much of breathing is based on oxygen? Stephen, give me a percentage. <laughs> I'll give you a hint. It's backwards. How much of your breathing, maybe the question is that, how much of your drive is based on oxygen. You I drive to breathe. Drive. 30%. Hey, you're, you're closer than I think anyone would expect. 10%. Okay. Only 10, upwards of 20% of our drive to breathe is based on need for oxygen. We primarily rely on carbon dioxide. 
And the, I don't think, uh, I guess I get into it a little bit. So that, that's the interesting part is the carbon dioxide that is actually what powers us, which is why people that hyperventilate get so sick and feel bad. But the idea is that the brain senses carbon dioxide. I don't want to get into too much uh, science, but the idea is oxygen does not dissolve into the blood very well at all. It's very difficult to get oxygen into the bloodstream, which is why we have red blood cells that carry hemoglobin that carry oxygen for us. Do we have red blood cells for carbon dioxide? No, that just is a gas inside of our bloodstream that's dissolved and, and, and is, is exhaled out. The reason why carbon dioxide can live inside us so easily because we can't have gas inside. There's not like, there's no air bubbles in our bloodstream. So how can carbon dioxide exist? And the reason why is carbon dioxide is actually in the bloodstream and tissues turned into an acid. Um, Oh, HCO3 bicarb. By, by, by um, so it's transported as a liquid in our bloodstream. So the brain is trying to sense how much oxygen you have. It can't really, it's such a delayed reaction from the oxygen that gets to you to the, the time that red blood cell gets to the brain. That's a lot longer transit time than the liquid and carbon dioxide and the acid can transmit to the brain. So the idea is the brain is always sensing the acidic environment. And if the acid starts to rise, it knows there's too much CO2. So it increases your breathing. And it just so happens that as CO2 goes up, we're burning oxygen because CO2 is created from the oxygen we breathe. So they're perfectly linearly related. When you exercise, your CO2 goes up, your O2 goes down, you breathe faster and you equalize that, okay? So the brain ramps up ventilation, breathing rate based on the carbon dioxide. So why do people with hyperventilation get so dizzy, lightheaded, weak, fatigue, nausea, rapid heart rate, and anxiety? They have plenty of oxygen around. You can't hyperventilate and get higher oxygen. Our red blood cells are basically maxed out at all times. If anyone puts the you know, blood sugar or blood uh, oxygen meter, it's rocking at 94%. Our oxygen is almost always above 95%. So no matter how much you hyperventilate, you can't really change your oxygen level. So you're not changing your oxygen. So what's causing all those symptoms? What's causing the symptoms is releasing too much carbon dioxide. When you breathe out too much carbon dioxide, your acidity changes to more alkaline, and that is a miserable feeling. So that's one of the tricks to why someone that's hyperventilating and panicking is given a brown paper bag. A brown paper bag is porous enough to allow a little air in and out, but it's trapping the carbon dioxide. So as they're breathing out the carbon dioxide, they're breathing it right back in, and it's preventing their carbon dioxide from dropping too much. So if you ever see someone panic, especially on flights, people freak out. You're one of them. Right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so people that freak out on flights start hyperventilating and don't even know it. And um, and so if you give them a brown paper bag, or I mean, you can do a plastic bag. It just feels more like suffocation yeah. when it's a plastic <laughs> bag. Yeah, yeah. So brown paper bags or any kind of paper bags, like they always have the little vomit functions. They always. And we flew a Legion one. That was sketchy. The, um, they did not have throw up bags, but if they've got a vomit bag, it's typically a paper bag that's porous and you just got to wrap around the mouth so you lose as little CO2 as possible. And those people, um, they'll, they won't want to because they already feel like they're suffocating. So it feels backwards to do that, but it actually treats it. So that's breathing gone wrong. Well, I haven't that's had to do that. So good. It's fine. Good. But maybe you shouldn't. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Laura's terrible, especially any turbulence. She, she goes bonkers. So in inhalation versus exhalation, 
when you inhale, we inhale nutrients. And that sounds kind of weird, but oxygen is literally a nutrient. And I also like to point out that when you exhale, you release toxins. This is why we exhale. It's not just getting oxygen in, it's getting CO2 out. Um, in addition, you can actually inhale toxins, which makes sense if our air quality is bad. So we can't forget that inhaled toxins are going to affect breathing in water, whatever way. So water damage, we see a lot of mold in the practice. We talk a lot about mold and um, water damage buildings are very common and frequently have no smells. So you can't tell they're water damaged. So I found this picture because you can kind of tell um, that you can see the mold in the, the wood, but you can't necessarily see it out here. And obviously they chopped off the drywall, so you can't see it there. There's a moldy building that probably from the outside looked fine. Of course, um, air pollution outdoors or when the forests are burning or whatnot affects air quality. That's inhaling toxins. Of course, cigarettes. Everybody knows that's, that's one of the worst ones. But I specifically put marijuana on here because so many people think that that's healthy because it's God made, like tobacco is not made by God. Um, marijuana, you're, anything you burn and inhale is toxic for you. I don't care if you're burning spinach leaves inhaling it, it's toxic for you. Burnt materials not supposed to be inhaled. What's even worse about marijuana is that they're almost always unfiltered. Not that the filter does that much for a cigarette, but it does help somewhat to decrease the pollutants. So we all, we never encourage people to well, smoke. What about, what about like smoked barbecue? Like I've heard- Same idea. Yeah. yeah. So the, the, and that's where the red meat controversy comes in is because no matter what food, if you're burning it, you actually make cancer causing dioxins. And so barbecue, um, like the brisket, the outside of the brisket is where it's all blackened and, 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 and that's where the dioxins are. But the inside of the meat, it's not blackened. It's, it's not cancer causing. So what's, what's, most of our human taste buds are really good at determining what's a toxin and what's not. Um, if you eat a really terrible berry, it's our body telling us that's a toxic berry. Don't eat that, right? So one of the ways we get tricked is those grill marks and the, the crispy parts of the the, the, the brisket or whatnot, they taste really, really sweet. It's delicious. That's one of the ways our taste buds actually are backwards. That we're not supposed to like that. It's cancer causing. So the marinades too. What's that? The marinades that they use, because they have a lot of sugars and sweets. Oh, and, and, and that's what caramelizes the taste even better. Yeah. So that's the tricky part with, because red meat in, by nature is not inflammatory, is not damaging, is wonderful. And I say red meat, bacon, chicken, whatever it is but our cooking processes can make anything dangerous. Um, no different than Brussels. I love fried Brussels, They're just so delicious. Where the leaves are all crispy, almost like paper, uh, just delicious, right? But that's not the healthiest version of Brussels sprouts. That's actually somewhat cancer causing. Now, the, the, I tell myself that there's more anti-cancer benefit in the Brussels than the cancer, um, but that is the battle. We, we want our food to taste good. And so don't go for food perfection. But the more you damage your food, the more you burn it, the worse it is. Uh, okay. Uh, so air purification, I at least want to spend a second here. And one is to make sure that your home has clean air because we're, we, we spend a lot of time in our home sleeping, breathing. And, and if there's toxins in the air, your lungs are amazingly permeable at receiving nutrients and toxins, which is why cigarette smoking is so good. Nobody's rubbing tobacco in their skin and going, oh, I just love tobacco, right? They inhale it. They inhale it because it's a quick hit. It's addicting. And it, the only other nicotine is to put it in your mouth and dissolve it through your tissue. And that's not nearly as good as smoking. 
So your lungs are excellent at absorbing. So no matter what they're breathing, they're going to absorb it. So I like to point out, everyone should ERMI test their home. If you're going to be there for any period of time, and I can send this to you, Sean. Um, ERMI test the home, the company. I used to like Micrometrics, and you pointed out a new one. What was it called? I can't remember. Darn it. I'm sorry. We have it in the... Uh, if y'all want to ERMI test, email me. I'll tell you what the, the company is. But buy the ERMI test, test your home for mold. Um, I love Air Doctor. We don't make any money off of Air Doctor, but Air Doctor is, is the filter, and we've got one in the corner over there, that actually filters out particles down to the 0.03 micron level. They're the only air filter on the, the planet that goes that far at this point. Um, there's a bunch of other ones advertising the molecule and all that, and those are all great air filters, but no one gets down to the, the ultra HEPA filter that Air Doctor does. I'm sure more will come out, but basically what you're looking for is the ultra HEPA. HEPA gets down to 0.3 microns, uh, ultra HEPA gets down to 0.03, maybe 0.003, 0.003, really small. Um, and so ultimately others will come up with ultra HEPA. The Remy Halo has been a favorite add-on for me. We did it to our air conditioners and it's that thing on the right. Uh, the Remy Halo LED is a, um, it goes in your air conditioned system that as the, the, the fan turns on, the Remy Halo comes on. And what it does is it's UV light. So any living particles in the air get destroyed by UV light. It doesn't kill non-living particles, only living particles. Um, and then the non-living particles say like mold toxins because any basic air filter can get out mold spores, but most air filters cannot get out mold toxins or gases. It's like a fart. You can fart near an air filter and you'll probably still smell it. Some gross and crass, but that's the truth. Molds fart and that gas is really hard to take out of the air. So the Remy Halo, what it does is it's a UV light to destroy the mold spores, the living growing mold. It destroys the living growing mold. Um, and two, it creates hydrogen peroxide and ions at the, the level of the airflow so that any mycotoxins or chemicals or gases or cigarette smoke or whatever it is actually get destroyed in the air, probably not 100% of it, but as much as possible before it gets blown all around the house. It's an expensive little piece. I think it's like $2,000 to install on each unit, but it's one of those things that lasts for life. So make the investment on an air unit. You can take it to whatever home you move to if you want to. And so I'm, I've become a big fan of them. They're the best that I know of at this time. Um, we can't breathe hydrogen peroxide. So that's why it works in the air unit, not outside. Like the, the, the air doctor makes ions, but it can't release a bunch of hydrogen peroxide. We can't breathe that stuff over long periods of time. So you can at the air unit because by the time it comes out of your fence, hydrogen peroxide is dispersed, but it's done its magic. Um, we talked about how oxygen is not carried well in the bloodstream. And so that's where hyperbaric oxygen therapy comes in. And this whole idea of breathing, we're talking about CO2 and oxygen. And so the idea behind hyperbaric oxygen therapy is that in your regular bloodstream, almost all of the oxygen, 99% of the oxygen is carried in the red blood cells. It's very difficult for gas to travel in our bloodstream. But when you're under pressure, it forces the oxygen into small little gas bubbles, and then it can travel in the bloodstream completely separate from the red blood cells. So when you get in a hyperbaric oxygen chamber, you're not, it's called hyperbaric oxygen, because yes, you're under pressure, as if you're underwater, it's putting pressure and allowing more gas to dissolve in your bloodstream, but we also put a 100% um, oxygen mask on you, so you're breathing 100% oxygen, because Paige, how much oxygen is in our air regularly? <laughs> Anybody know? 
Now you were close. I like the 30. The 30 is common. Uh, it's 20%. 20. So we bring 20.9% auction at room error. And so when you're in the chamber, we give you 100% auction and pressurize it. So that's the, the diagram on the right where you can get auction all over the body that may not be getting that very well because of poor blood vessel growth or mold. Mold loves to strangle our blood vessels. Our, as we age, our, our blood vessels shrivel and shrink and wherever you're not going to get blood, it's not going to grow. So our brain shrinks, our, our muscles shrink. So the idea is getting oxygen everywhere is also a self-fulfilling uh, prophecy because getting oxygen there also stimulates regeneration, which stimulates more blood flow, which stimulates more healing. And so hyperbaric oxygen treatment is one of those things that can, can stimulate people to the, the next level. Um, so uh, we, we're going all over the place with, with breathing. So there's a fun term called fetor hepaticus. That's, that's very well known. And fetor hepaticus is extremely bad breath and liver failure. The people of liver failure, uh, fetor is death, hepaticus being um, hepata is, is liver. So the liver failing makes this death-like smell from people's breath. And that's not that important, but it begs to ask the question, what does it tell us about the lungs detox abilities? So we're so focused on oxygen and carbon dioxide in the breathing world, but what else are we eliminating through our lungs that no one's ever studied? So we know the sauna can get all kinds of toxins out of our skin, but no one, I shouldn't say no one, but not enough studies have been done to really know how many different toxins are coming out of our, our skin when we're in the sauna. Well, who the heck has ever seen a detox study from the lungs? So our lung health matters, our liver health, course matters. And so our, when our liver is failing, our lungs take over some of the detoxability of the liver, which is why it smells so bad. So if you don't believe your lungs detoxify, then the next time you get pulled over to do a breath test and they're looking for alcohol in your breath, you'll realize your lungs are actually detoxifying the alcohol out of your body, which is why they can do a breath test. And they can even do ketones in your breath to see if you're in ketosis or not. Also, the lungs have their own microbiome, just like our sinuses have a microbiome. We talk, when we say microbiome, we primarily mean the gut, but each version of our body that's exposed to the outside environment and has different characteristics has a unique microbiome. Our skin has a totally different microbiome than our innards. Our stomach has a completely different microbiome than our rectum, our mouth different than the sinuses. So we frequently forget that our own lungs have a microbiome and breathing a bunch of mold can change that microbiome. We went to a whiskey distillery this weekend, which was a lot of fun. Garrison Brothers, if anyone enjoys whiskey, it's a fantastic tour. But one of the things we learned is in the whiskey fermenting process, it puts chemicals in the air that allows this very unique mold, mildew to fungus to grow in the air and it's black. So everything in the, the place had this black tinge to it. And they said, we can power wash it off. It's harmless, but it's always around. Um, and so that's proof that our, our air has a microbiome and you can change the air microbiome by changing what's in the air. Um, little fun fact we learned at the whiskey distillery is that's how in the prohibition era, they used to catch people that were brewing or uh, distilling liquor um, illegally is they just go look at the buildings and those black stains all over the place they knew. Um, so apparently they wisened up over time and just started painting everything black. Second time. Fun fact. Smart. Yeah, right? So obstructive sleep apnea, another way to ruin our breathing and affect our breathing in a negative way 
And this example is showing that an obstructive sleep apnea, there's your tongue right there. And when you lay back, your tongue falls and blocks your airway. And the, the process of going from normal to obstruction is snoring. So people that snore is where that airway is narrowing. And then eventually when they stop breathing is when they actually suffocate themselves throughout the night. And so the scary fact is that in order to be diagnosed with mild obstructive sleep apnea, you have to suffocate yourself 15 times per hour to get mild diagnosis. Uh, moderate being 30, severe being 60 times an hour. So you're, you're suffocating yourself. That's literally every minute you're suffocating yourself. The other thing I like to point out with obstructive sleep apnea is that it's such aggressive um, obstruction that if I put an oxygen sensor on anyone here, I've done this test a number of times, it's fun to do, and ask you to hold your breath as long as you can possibly hold your breath. The lowest you can drop your oxygen level percentage is to 92%. I had one person that dropped it to 88%. I still don't know how he did it, but he dropped it. So 92% is the usual story. When people have mild sleep apnea, they're well into the 80s, lower 80s, multiple, multiple times in the night. So what I like to point out is the most you could possibly suffocate yourself while awake, you can only drop yourself to 92. But while you were sleeping, you dropped into the 80s multiple, multiple times, which is far beyond what you would normally hold your breath. People with severe sleep apnea will drop into the 70s. It's scary. What's cool is nowadays there's all kinds of devices to watch obstructive sleep apnea. You used to have to go to a lab and get all this crap strapped to you and pay $2,000. Then they came out with the at-home one where you could strap yourself up and only pay $300. Now they've gone a step further and this little ring thing you see on that person's uh, finger, that's the, 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 the more studied version of obstructive sleep apnea you can find on Amazon. It's 200 bucks on Amazon. Uh, I thought I had the name. It's like a whoopee or some whoopee or uh, uh, yeah, I don't have the, the name on here, but you can Google it. Um, and now, in fact, the aura ring. Does everybody know? You, yeah, there you go. Stephen, do you have an aura ring? I don't know. I'm uh, familiar with it. They're good. Dalton, do you have an aura ring? Do you know about the aura ring? So show them the ring again, Shanoa. Yeah. Uh, so the ring, it's a ring and it's got little sensors on the inside. And the newer generation of it, they added an oxygen sensor. Have you turned yours yeah. on? Mm -hmm. Of yeah. course. Yeah. Uh, so it's got yeah. an oxygen sensor on it where it's measuring your oxygen all night long. It can actually diagnose sleep apnea by wearing a ring. Yeah. We've gone from going to a lab, strapping 20 electrodes mm -hmm. around your head, a chest strap, a nose piece to sense oxygen, <laughs> to now a ring. Like, what are we going to come up with next? Um, can you pull up your, your app? Yeah, you know? so um, it gives you like a, We're a judge you. store. Uh, gives you your heart rate too. Gives you your heart rate, heart rate variability, uh, resting heart rate, body temperature. So like when I had COVID the night before, my uh, body temperature spiked up two degrees. Um, yeah. Instead of my resting heart rate, instead of my respiratory rate. Um, for um, your sleep score, it gives you how much time you spent in uh, total sleep, uh, your sleep efficiency, your REM, your deep sleep, your latency, how quickly you fall asleep. Which um, can be a problem. If you fall asleep too quickly, that's yeah. a problem too. So yeah. it tells you if you took too long or too little. Uh, your, um, uh, your oxygen uh, rating. Um, when your heart rate went down in the night, so if you had a big meal, typically it'll go down later. If mm -hmm. you had... If, you're, if you had your last meal earlier in the day, then typically it goes down faster um, and then just kind of gives you activity scores and all sorts of really cool stuff. So, 
It, it really is a unique tool. And for 300 bucks, uh, so yeah. this is my second one because the, the first generation didn't have as many yeah. toys. Yeah. And so the second generation, my first one lasted three or four years battery still was doing, mm -hmm. by the end, it only lasted a day or two, yeah. not yeah, very right. much. But for 300 bucks, the last three or four years to give you excellent data mm -hmm. is, is just, it's, so funny. And it's an honesty I, meter, right? Have I you found that? I got it for Phil, my husband, oh, yeah? because I, I'm like, you, you're sleeping terrible. You know, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, and I'll get one for me too, so we can compare. And it's like, oh, he's sleeping like a champ. And I'm like, how do you, how, how do you sleep in six hours? And like, I need eight. Yeah. And so, I mean, uh, it was, it was, it was enlightening. And it's an honesty meter. Of that like, is for sure. Yep. I did that. I ate too late and yeah. there's my score. And, and he'll say no like, oh, I don't want to eat too much because I don't want it to affect my sleep score. And I'm like, <laughs> I was winning. <laughs> that is, that is because the, each time we, we cheated, we, we, we hastened up. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. So it's an honesty meter. I love the, the aura ring. So. O-U-R-A. Uh, yeah. And email me because they give us yeah. fifty dollars coupons. Yeah. I can send you yeah, my yeah. my the, the mm -hmm. link and they'll give you fifty dollars off. So whoever it's three hundred three fifty now, but anyway, they give you fifty off with a referral. They don't offer it often. Mm -hmm. uh, so we've covered already sympathetic versus parasympathetic, or sand versus pan. We've covered the science of breathing. We've covered eliminating incoming toxins. Um, oh wait, in eliminated income toxins. Nutrient. Oh, that's okay. Eliminated incoming toxins and increased incoming nutrients by making sure we're breathing adequately and not choking ourselves at night. So now we're ready to biohack our breathing. So we're going to switch gears a little bit. And so what we're not going to be doing, does anybody know who that is? <laughs> you guys are nuts if you know who that is. So we're not going to go to that level. That is what I would like to call very advanced breathing techniques and completely out there that if you want to do that, that's great. And you will truly unlock, unlock another version of yourself, but we prefer to do good, better, best. That's the best, but gosh, very few people can actually pull that stuff off. Um, I so we're going to focus on simple and complex breathing, but we're not going to get into advanced stuff. So the first thing, and honestly, this slide is so much more for me than probably you guys is um, my band teacher. Yes. As a band nerd, my band teacher, I was a chubby kid. I'm still a chubby kid. I was chubbier in high school. And when I played the trumpet, and um, he would always cuss me because I breathed up high. And I want to show my belly. I was a chubby kid. I didn't want to show anymore. So they would always cuss at me because I could not get as much air as some of my other colleagues because I did not belly breathe. So the first thing is no judging here. Um, I can't belly breathe. I'll pop a button in this bed. But you guys don't have that, so no excuses. You must belly breathe. Um, our lungs, I love going through the signs of how the lungs actually expand. They both expand like a bucket hinge where the, 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 if the lid goes up or the uh, handle goes up, but more so the lungs expand downward and our intestines have to go somewhere. Our pelvis is a hard bowl. They're not going down. Our back is full of muscles and spine. It's not going back. So if it doesn't go out, you're limiting how much air you can get. And that's it. Uh, so simple breathing techniques. First and foremost, whenever you're going to do any kind of breathing techniques, you got to focus on set and set. And we talk a lot about this in the psychedelic world and, and ketamine and, and treatment and therapy. Um, you never go to a therapist office that's like on a highway full of busy honking cars, right? You're in a peaceful couch setting. There's usually spa music or, or some sort of Buddha music or something, right? The set and setting matter. 
So what we're trying to do here is we're trying to manually take over our rest and digest system, which is mostly an autonomic system. It's not a system that we're in control of. If you want to flex your muscle, if you want to increase your blood pressure, that's easy to take control of. Taking control of our rest and digest system is very difficult. So we need as much peace and quiet and nature, um, forest bathing, which sounds a little inappropriate when you say it, um, just being out in nature. And in, in Austin, we really don't have any excuse because no matter where you live, there's usually a piece of forest somewhere close to you. So get out in the forest and sweat a little also and, uh, and get alone. So the, the first just simple breathing techniques, this, this sounds very simple, uh, but sometimes it is just that simple. The first step is just to be conscious that you're breathing. Breathing is one of the few systems that is both a passive system, but can be hijacked by an active system. So like going to the bathroom, peeing, that's technically a passive system that we hold at bay until we duck. When you go to the bathroom, you don't actually actively pee. You actively stop inhibiting the peeing, if that makes any sense whatsoever, which is why children can't hold their bladder and they must wear diapers or whatnot, is because they haven't learned to inhibit the act of urination and stooling. So we don't actually have control over those other than we prevent it from happening when we don't want to. Uh, and if you don't believe me, hold your bladder long enough and you will pee yourself no matter what you do or poop yourself. Uh, so first step is just to be conscious. Okay, so we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna do it now. Okay, everyone's gonna kind of close their eyes. I'll, I'll read you through it. So eyes closed, Dalton YouTube, Paige YouTube, eyes closed. So first, we're just gonna be conscious of the breathing feeling the sensation of air going through our nose, going through our mouth, entering our trachea, and then leaving our body and just noticing the, the sensation of that air passing by. And then we're actually gonna do a simple technique of doing a deep inspiration. And we don't have to time it or anything, but I want you to take a breath so big that it hurts. And I want you to feel that pain, focus on that pain, big, big, big breath where it hurts. And then when you exhale, um, I want you to force that air out and feel the relief you get from that pain. It seems so weird that breathing in too deeply causes that pain and forcing the air out and focusing on the relief. One of my, my favorite um, stress relieving techniques is actually to crunch your hands and your fist and your toes so hard that it hurts. The muscles are tense and tight and painful and then and focusing on that pain, but then releasing it, just feeling the relaxation that comes from it. It forces you immediately. You don't need to go jump in an ice bath to feel that. That's painful. I don't want to do that. But just taking your body into the now and focusing on, I'm a zebra. I'm just eating my grass. I'm chilling. I'm happy. Everything's fine. The lion's over there, and he's he's eating Bob. Bob's okay. And Bob's got a twin. So Bob, Bob twin, I know I'm faster than already. So I don't have to worry because Bob number two is down before me. I'm just chilling, eating my grass. So we feel the sensation of air. And if ever you want to center yourself away from the lion, deep inspire, create that pain and feel the relief of, of breathing out. The other thing we can do, and we can all do it together, is, is do a breath hold and feel that need for oxygen that our brain, it's actually not need for oxygen, right? It's need for getting the CO2 out. But let's hold our breath and just be, focus on that need for oxygen. And then when you when you finally release it and bring it back in, the, the sensation of, of just relief that you get, it centers you. 
The other neat thing we've talked about incoming nutrients, oxygen. When we exhale, we release toxins, not just CO2. So I, too often, especially when we're sick or inflamed or autoimmune or damaged or whatnot, we can get into a sick mentality. Uh, I am sick. I will be sick. Tomorrow I'll be sick. The next day I'll be sick. And if you breathing is one of those few things you can hijack and change your, your, your mind. And as you're breathing out, imagine you're breathing out. It sounds totally wackadoo medicine, but it's real. Your brain is incredibly powerful. If you're breathing out that anxiety or breathing out that fear or breathing out that inflammation, the amount of change you can make on your body is incredible. And you got to remember that vagus nerve is going to all of those internal organs. So if you're hijacking that parasympathetic system, you're hijacking that vagus nerve and forcing it to tell your body to heal. You're overriding the yin and forcing the yang up. Dr. Simple. Joe Dispenza, which I'm sure you've read. I know him. I've actually not. Is he the breath book? No, um, you are the placebo. Uh, he talks a lot about um, mm. meditating your way and breathing your way out of some of these autoimmune issues that mm -hmm. a lot of people have and uh, pretty powerful stuff. So Absolutely. I think I think a lot of it is uh, is within our self-control, but we have to take that control uh, back in the first place. So and it's free. Yeah, <laughs> it's freaking free. We don't have to pay anything. You don't have to go sit in a, a, a tank. You don't have to go sit in the infrared sauna. There's trees everywhere. God made it. They can go enjoy some trees and do some simple breathing techniques. I, I like to point people out, and I'm so guilty of this, guys. This is just as much for me, probably more for me than you guys, is if you ever go on vacation, well, hopefully you do go on vacation. When you go on vacation, I like to call it recognize how many days it takes to enter vacation mode, mm -hmm. where you finally, as I, I should know, yeah. Yeah. when you finally get the like, oh, I just melted into this chair, like all of the tasks and yeah. things waiting on me back at home, bills to pay, work to do, deadlines to meet, you just melt and forget about them all. Honestly, guys, it takes me three days. Yeah. Anytime we go somewhere, it takes me three days to enter vacation mode. And so what's unfortunate is if my vacation is three days, I don't actually, I, I still get benefit, right? We, you get benefit from it. But that true health unlocking is after that vacation mode kicks in. One of my, my long-term patients slash best friends um, went through a, a serious like health crisis, autoimmune flares, nervous system basically shut down. He had to go to his mom's. He's a 47-year-old mom. I like, had to melt down his mom's house and just get away from everything. And he's made a lot of progress getting back to health, but he went on a Boy Scout camping trip with his son for two weeks. And now he thinks he's healthy or he's very healthy and very fit and, and back to health and all that. But he told me the two weeks while he was gone, he recognized that he's been stressed all along, even in his healthier version, he's been stressed all along because he didn't know what being de-stressed actually felt like it had been so long. And it took him, it wasn't, it took him a good three to four days to enter that vacation mode. But he said it was like each day he was out in nature and away from the phone and deadlines and all that. Mm -hmm. He just entered this level and it sounds totally hocus pocus, but this different level of, of relaxation. If we think about it, when is the last time any of us has really had that? I'm not admitting my number. <laughs> it's been a minute. It's been a minute. So the, the complex breathing techniques, and I don't want to keep you guys too much, but y'all know I could talk forever. 
Um, the complex breathing techniques are, are, are more powerful. They're a powerful de-stressor. It forces you to focus. Just to do the technique requires a focus on what you're doing. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to eliminate all the distractions, eliminate the lines in the room and focus on only one thing. So the complex breathing techniques are not only the focus on the breathing, the simple stuff we just did, but doing it in a complex manner that takes your, your focus purely your brain purely onto the breathing so it's well, more I, I would say it's also intention in the moment as opposed to thinking about something that's happened mm -hmm. in the past or planning something for the future and i think there's just a lot of calming like i can literally feel digestion happening mm -hmm. moving around my stomach when i am doing my mm -hmm. breathing exercises it's like isn't that wild it's pretty freaky but I, it's good that we can take control over <laughs> yeah. that and if we don't pay attention to it imagine how much it's shutting down when we're not paying attention to it so this is the more powerful reduction of the SANS, reduction of blood pressure, heart rate, um, all that heart rate variability, which I think mm -hmm. I have more slides on. But the, the two most popular ones are called box breathing and three, four, seven. I like box breathing because it's the easiest one to remember. And so it's the four seconds. You inhale for four seconds, you hold for four seconds, you exhale for four seconds, you hold for four seconds. Now that's really simple to remember. But in this situation, and kind of one of the reasons I force you guys to do a deep inhalation, this is not the time to do a deep inhalation where you feel the pain. So when you first start doing these breathing exercises, you don't know what it's like to inhale for four seconds. So sometimes you're like, I'm still inhaling. It's not supposed to be that. So that means the next time you come around and do the inhalation, breathe slower in and breathe slower out. Um, it's not meant to, so you can hyperventilate in these situations. If you're breathing too deeply in these four seconds, you're going to exhale just as deeply and you're going to exhale all of that CO2 and you'll get lightheaded. So when you first start doing the breathing things, you'll notice not just inhale for four seconds, you'll notice how much do I inhale for four seconds? And this is one of those things where it's like, okay, I'm focused on how much I'm inhaling, which means as Shanoa said, I'm not focused on deadlines. I'm not focused on what's gonna happen, how cool it is in the room, how hot the coffee is. I am focused on here and now in my body. So I'm gonna walk you guys through at least a, a few rounds. We're gonna do one round first so that you can kind of get an idea of, did I inhale too much? Did I exhale too much? So close eyes, close eyes. And then I can't do it at the same time as I walk y'all through it. I'm not that level of yoga expert. So if everyone can start, three, two, one, inhale, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four, exhale, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four. Okay. So when you did that, did you feel like you breathed too deep, too shallow? You shouldn't feel a hunger for air. You shouldn't feel a pain of too much air. Um, and I know I'm telling you to start me maybe in the middle of an exhale or something. So that was not, one is not really gonna do enough to really get you in, in rhythm. So if you guys have the patience, let's do it around it five times. I'll walk y'all through it. So we'll start in three, two, one. Inhale for four seconds, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four, exhale, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four, inhale, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four, exhale, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four, inhale, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four, Exhale, two, three, four. Hold, two, three, four. Inhale, two, three, 
three, last one. Inhale, two, three, four. Hold, two, three, four. Exhale, two, three, four, and hold, two, three, four. I don't care who you are. If you do that, no matter what anxious state, paranoid state, feared state, unhappy state you're in, that is just such a grounding thing to bring you back to reality and realize my life's not all that bad. And that's what we're kind of telling our body. It could be much worse. I'm able to breathe. Um, how that feel? Beautiful. One thing I like that Chanel was doing, and it may feel weird, especially if you've never done breathing, is that you actually heard her audibly exhaling. And anything we can do to draw our own attention to what's happening right now in the moment. So inhaling through pursed lips, whatever can completely distract you from the lines in the room and the deadlines, whatever it is, whether you're inhaling and squeezing your foot, whatever it may be, if you're going to do this, it doesn't take, you don't need to do an hour of breathing, just a simple five rounds of that while you're driving your car, not your ideal, but anytime you do this, you're, you're resetting your body and powerful. So 478 is the other one. Um, I don't like 478 as much because when you're trying to relax, you're like, well, am I on the four? Am I on the seven? Am I on the eight? So it's a more advanced technique. It's more of a complex technique because just strictly the focus on breathing and counting is, is part of the hard part that distracts you from the lion. Um, so let's do that one real quick so that we, we know what that's like. We'll just do three rounds of it. So we'll start in three, two, once you inhale, four, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and exhale for two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Inhale, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four, five, six, seven, exhale, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, one more. Inhale, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four, five, six, seven, exhale, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So that one's different. It takes some conscious, like paying attention to, oh, I'm not inhaling for eight seconds. So I got to inhale a little faster than I exhale because uh, you're not supposed to be actually like <coughs> and trying to squeeze the last. So that takes a little more focus. Um, I'd say the 478 is more powerful. And nowadays with YouTube and all the call maps and stuff, don't feel like you have to remember all of this or yeah, walk yourself I, through I it. I use an app of, you know, uh, that'll just tell me inhale, mm -hmm. hold, exhale, mm -hmm. hold, and, uh, and this as well. And, mm -hmm. uh, it Because sometimes your mind will take over. Yeah try to direct you in past yeah. or future. And yeah. um, that, that helps me. It's a crutch, uh, but it, That's okay. know, I'll, I'll take it. Yeah, that's biohacking, it's cheap. Yeah. yeah. So how do you assess the benefits? Um, Shino used to wear your Apple Watch, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Hey, yeah, hey, yeah. yeah. Uh, Shino's a data nerd like me. So. Yeah. so how can you assess the benefit of your breathing? Um, I had heart math on here. Heart math was one of the first things that that was, popular for a while but it was so annoying that you had to hook this thing to your ear and then pull up the app did you ever do heart math you know you ever do heart math mm -hmm. oh i spent a thousand dollars getting this thing to practice and we never even used it 
in my drawer somewhere. But what was neat about it, this is before the Apple Watch days, uh, what was neat about it is literally as you breathe it, it did this breathing thing, just like the app, the Apple Watch breathe thing. Yeah, the Apple Watch gives you the haptics too. Yep. Which are, so yeah. you don't have to do an app too. Yep. So those, that's, that's, I love it. So what the heart math did was as you were doing it, it showed your, your heart rate actually changing while you were breathing. So I did like that because for a, a, a person like me, like I don't buy into this very well. This is a struggle for me to get into. But when I see immediate benefits and, 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 and outcomes, then I'm more likely to do it. So what's nice about now that Apple Watch has come out with their breathe technique, they literally give you your heart rate before and after um, what you do with the breathe. And if you do it multiple times a day, it, you'll see your heart rate dropping each time you do it, which means your body's learning how to kick on that vagus nerve faster and faster and faster and faster. And the more you train that vagus nerve, no different than riding a bike. The more you ride a bike, the more complex things you do riding a bike, the easier it becomes and passive that you don't even realize it. So I've turned my breathe notifications off. I need to turn it back on um, because it is beneficial. I like to point out our Max Pulse machine. It's free to all members, really the non-members, it doesn't cost us anything. It's an easy machine. It's the thing where you stick your finger in the, like the oxygen sensor, but it's measuring the, the artery expansion, but also it's measuring each heartbeat and giving you a heart rate variability. Heart rate variability is the marker of your sympathetic versus parasympathetic system. The more variable your heart, the more rest and digest and chill you are, the flatter it is, the worse. Um, and then, of course, the aura ring. So the, the two things to easily measure heart rate variability. Aura ring, it dominates at night. The Apple Watch dominates during the day. Um, yeah. And then the Max Pulse, so just a three-minute test. So this is the Max Pulse machine. It's giving you artery elasticity and health. This is actually a true, real picture. My 41-year-old had a heart attack. That's his Max Pulse on the left. That was a type 6, terrible. Um, and then over six months of healing, we improved him from a type six to a type one wow. uh, vascular um, wow. growth. That's incredible. Uh, heart rate variability. I like to point out, does anybody know where heart rate variability, what, what is that? I <laughs> You Dalton definitely doesn't know. Is it going across the chest? Mm -hmm. Cool. Is I can't tell what that is. I, can't tell where it's it's <laughs> I intentionally put yes. Okay. Looks you like see how the turkey oh, basters pop? For a, yeah. For a baby? Yes. Oh. So heart rate variability was initially discovered because you can't examine your fetus inside you, but you can attach an ultrasound. Uh, it's not ultrasound, uh, whatever the monitor detection is, and you can detect the heartbeat. But what we learned over time was that the fetus's heart rate can sustain a normal rate for a long time. By the time it starts to either speed up or slow, there's been deficiency, oxygen deficiency for longer than that. So the, in the OB world, they learned that if they watched the heart rate variability, that was the first sign of any oxygen distress. Because what did I tell you guys about heart rate variability? When the oxygen, when you run, when you're sleep apneic or alcohol or stressed out, what happens to the heart rate variability? It goes up or down? when you're stressed. Goes down. Goes down. Yeah. So what they're watching for when they're watching, if y'all ever see the fetal heart rate, we have monitors all over on the L&D floors. And the reason why is because they're all watching it, making sure that heart rate's going up and out, up and down. The average might be 140, but is it going to 150 and then back down to 130 and then up to 150? Is it bouncing all around? Because if it's 140 and flat, you're taking that baby out. They're strangled. They're suffering. So heart rate variability got discovered in the OB world 
and then extrapolated to the anti-aging, the biohacking world, the aura ring world, the Apple Watch world. So this is my aura. I'm going to incriminate myself. Uh, so on the left side is a very well-rested, uh, sober night mm -hmm. and fasted state. And the fasted state is the most your person that it can be stimulated, at least for me. And so that volatility you see is very good. The up, down, up, down. It sounds bad, but volatility is good. On the right is after a little bit too much drinking and poor sleep. And um, you can see it's just flat, 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 flat. And as the alcohol detoxifies, about 4 to 5 a.m. is where you can start to see the break point of where enough alcohol is detoxified and the heart rate variability is increasing. But if you notice the average over the whole night is 18 with alcohol and when fasting and sober is 50 and then the max compared to 68 and 41. Mm -hmm. So this is just a, a feature of the ring and honesty meter. At the same time, this is the same night. You can see that the, the lowest heart rate, I guess I flipped them. Yeah, that's flipped, sorry. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to fix that on the slideshow. But this is the fasting, the, the good one you want. You want a nice, low resting heart rate. And if you notice, as soon as you fall asleep, your, your heart rate drops and then hangs low. That's what you want. Ideally, I should be lower than that. I should be in the low 50s. Um, the more cardio, the more fit you are, you can drop that low heart rate. Not everyone can get to the 40s. It's somewhat genetic. And then, of course, too much drinking means you have an elevated heart rate all night. So my lowest was 67 while asleep. Not, not good enough. Okay. Um, bonus question. Where is your, this is totally unrelated, but obviously related. You guys should somewhat get the, the, the hints since it's a workshop. Where does your fat go when you lose weight? I should breathe it out. <laughs> Isn't that wild? <laughs> <laughs> Get out of me. Uh, so what, what this diagram is showing is that this molecule right here is just a fat it's a carbon hydrocarbon chain it, it's a fat we breathe in oxygen our mitochondria is what takes those nutrients in remember we talked about oxygen as a nutrient it takes oxygen and uses it to accept all those hydrogen ions from the, the, the fat, and that's what your, your mitochondria is using for energy. And so the oxygen receives the hydrogen ions and becomes water. And the carbon has to go somewhere. So it also matches the oxygen and makes CO2. So the carbon is actually what's holding onto the hydrogen. So we say when you lose weight, you breathe out your weight, um, but really you're, you're, peeing, you're breathing and peeing it out. So uh, drink more water, breathe more. Uh, this is who I thought you were referring to earlier, but I have not, I'm going to admit, I've not read this book. I have it. I have not read it. Though. Apparently yeah. it is absolutely amazing. I've listened to several podcasts where he's, uh, I've never heard of yeah. Is he yeah. good? Yeah. He's, uh, he's, it's, it's interesting. He's more of a, uh, kind of a reporter you know, like oh, I'm into this. And so I'm going to go and explore this. And it's like, okay, I've explored this enough. I can write a book on this. It wasn't like, not like an indie. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I thought that was, I thought, you know, he just has a different perspective on it. So. But so yeah. And you've not read it, Paige? Mm -hmm. It's also on my bookshelf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you, yeah. <laughs> Multiple people I've, I've known over time, like my, my buddy, I just told you about with the, the cow, uh, Boy Scouts. Um, he's a big fan of this book. So I've heard about it a million times. And apparently, to me, it just sounds boring. I'm going to read a book on breathing. 
that just sounds incredibly boring. I, he's a storyteller. it's good. Yeah, he's a storyteller, which which is not you know he comes at it from that angle as opposed to just a medical. Mm-hmm. Why zebras don't have ulcers? Yeah, oh, and you that's know, what that book yeah. is. It's the yeah, Bible so of like, ulcers. This is, I think, more kind of a storytelling. You know. Um, okay, Apple sounds like it. we, Stephen, you haven't read it. Mm-hmm. That's striking. You've done a lot more reading than I have, probably. Uh, so I guess all of our homework assignment yeah. is this this book. Okay. And there's there's millions of breath books out there, but apparently this is the, the best one. Um, so any questions you guys have, I just want to make sure you guys know we have more upcoming events happening. Um, every month I'm going to try to do one, and it's a challenge to me as well as um, informative because I got to make sure I'm up to date on my stuff in order to give you guys. So, I mean, the Botox one's in Abilene. I don't think anybody's going to drive to Abilene when you could just get it done. Here, you need it. Um, but, and, and so September is immune boosting, October is vitamins, minerals, and nutrients. Uh, November is going to be avoiding food triggers during the holiday season, which we can all, uh, Stephen, y'all are probably better at it than me. And then um, I'm really, really not looking forward to caffeine. <laughs> What's the deal? Uh, that was my suggestion because I, I'm going to try to be unbiased about the good and the bad of caffeine because caffeine actually has a lot of benefits uh, but used inappropriately has a lot of detriment mm-hmm. added to inappropriately i think is what's that added to inappropriately yes what you add into it yeah yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. speaking of which the element electrolytes do not have caffeine right mm-hmm. god i could not go to sleep last night i was like what in the hell i go to sleep till 1 30 my aura ring was basically yelling at me in the morning like what did you do like i was in bed I swear. yeah it was very bizarre 